0: this morning from anybody out there, anything pertinent or important, or any updates on members that aren't here? We're happy to see our brother Dale back from his surgery. It was a resounding success, you would say. How are you feeling, brother?
1: I feel really good. I was expecting to have a lot more pain than what I have right now.
0: Most importantly, is uh, dear sister Pam, how oh, is he
1: behaving at home?
2: He's overdoing it. <laughs> what is your pain?
3: <laughs> Any word on Ed?
0: Wendy's doing well. Okay, Uh, Terry, have you any updates on Tom? Other than he's still hunkered down at home, we keep him in our prayers that uh, perhaps the Lord would urge him to come out and be with the the brother. Any other uh, comments or prayer requests? Mm -hmm. Okay. If there are none. Our scripture for meditation is a responsive reading this morning, taken from the book of Psalm 110. That's going to be in your Trinity Hymnal, page 825. When you come to that, please stand and we will begin. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet
2: the lord will extend your mind scepter from zion you will rule in the midst of your enemies
0: your troops will be willing on your day of battle
2: a and holy majesty from the womb of
0: The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek.
3: The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the days of his wrath.
0: He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the soul from death. I'm sorry. One moment, please. Page is stuff. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth.
3: He will, will drink from a brook beside the,
0: side of the, way. the way. Therefore, he will lift up
3: his head.
2: May
0: the Lord add his blessing to this holy and inspired reading. <coughs> Let's remain standing for opening prayer. Adam Tam, my brother, may I prevail upon you to lead us in prayer.
1: Sure. Thank you, Holy
2: Father, for our time together. I thank you for all your blessings and mercies. I pray that the word today come to our heart. Give us what we need and nurture us in a way that only you know. In Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing.
2: Will you take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to number 279? <clears throat> Two seven nine in the brown. <clears throat>
0: Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and it'll be verses 32 through chapter 11, verse 2, and that'll be page 1874. You've got your Bible right? Okay. When you come to that, please stand with us.
1: Starting at the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. <coughs> at other times you stood side by side with those who were, were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done uh, the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Or in just a few very uh, in just a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous one will live by faith and if he shrinks back I will not be pleased with him but we are all but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded, commended for. ask that the Lord would bless his word.
2: Will you take your brown hymnal again and turn to number four hundred and eighty-six four eighty six in the brown? A special at this time. Mm-hmm. Talked to Hannah this week, and it was just laid on my heart that I wanted to sing this song. And I said, "Will you sing with me?" And she said, "Sure." And so, come on up.
3: Our scripture text this morning is Hebrew chapter 10, and we'll go a little bit into chapter 11 as well. Last, day, last Lord's Day we considered the deposits that God has to make in our spiritual account if we are to trust Him with our life. The principle being, there's no drawing out What is not put in. In the spiritual realm, since we're dead to God in our hearts, that's the way we come into this world, there's nothing there that would ever solicit us to stop placing our faith in our own abilities and start trusting God for our salvation and for everything else. It's just not there. And no person acts beyond their belief system. Thinking has to be changed before actions will be changed. And the man or woman of the world has wrong thinking when it comes to God. Let me read it for you. This is out of Romans. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but... Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1 verse 21 and 22. Sad commentary on the fall of man into sin. Now add to this truth that people love their sin and are predisposed to Not to relinquish it, and there is no way they will willingly give it up. Let me read it to you from Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says about this people they greatly love to wander, they do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Jeremiah 14 verse 10. Now with such deadness towards God and such love of all that is against God. God has to take it upon himself to deposit death to self. Just another way of saying, he has to grant us repentance. He gives that. And he has to give us life. The Holy Spirit in which life is produced. God moves and then we move. That's what John taught. God first loved us, we love Him back. But He takes the initiative, not us. And He deposits the spiritual graces needed to respond aright to Him as Lord and Savior. And then we exercise those graces as gifted stewards of His grace. I know this is strange. Because most people don't preach this way anymore. They think it's all up to them. Well, you know, I had to believe. I, I had to accept Jesus. Well, I had to do, do this and that and so forth. And that's the way people go with their thinking. And to be told what the scripture says, that they don't love God. They don't have anything to do with him. They love their sin, which God hates. To hear all of that, they say, Oh, I don't, I don't know about that, and they have a conflict with even what the truth says. But God is true, and men are liars, and we need to keep that in mind. Now, today's study begins to define for us of what faith in God consists and how it expresses itself. So as we come to our study, let's ask the Lord, To enable us. Lord we pray that you will. Take your word and apply it. To our lives. Your word is truth. You're not a liar like men. You're not a deceiver. Like the evil one. You tell it like it is. Sometimes the truth hurts. Because it smacks at our pride. But don't let that keep us. Lord from coming. To you and. Confessing our pride as what it is. It's an attempt to make ourselves as God. To be rulers and masters of our own destiny. We don't like the idea that you're the boss and we're not. But I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see this. The God, the creator of the universe, in no way, no how, submits to our will. It is we who must submit to his will. And thankfully, you're a God that is gracious and forgiving and grants to sinful people like us those graces which we need to be rightly related to you. And how wonderful it is to be in a right relationship with the God of the universe and to know that his banner of peace and joy is over us when we come to know him in Christ. We pray that you will bless the study of your word today in Christ's name. Amen. Now today's study begins to define for us what faith in God must evidence. How it expresses itself. And I've listed the message as confident faith. Now, not arrogant faith. You know what that is, that, that business, of, I'm going to tell God what I think of him. There's too much of that. You're not going to tell God any such thing. If you try that, you're going to end up right where you're headed, and that is into the fires of hell. He's the boss, not you. He's the creator, you're the creature. And there's too much of that in our society. And we have TV preachers and we have books written and so forth that God loves everybody. And I'm thinking, what Bible are they reading? We have to be honest. God is more than love. He is that. But he's also just. Which means he is going to punish sin. Two ways. Either in you for a life... Of eternity in hell's fire, or in his son Jesus with his death and resurrection, and you trusting in what he did for his people. That's it. So, if you won't have Christ, then you won't have salvation. It just won't happen. All right, let's talk a little bit about confident faith. I would like to point out that all believers, all believers, begin with no faith. That's where we begin. Consider the fact that all of your life you have trusted in your own judgment, or in the advice of friends, or in the things you learned in school from various teachers, or maybe in the Things that you learned in the school of hard knocks. Your experience. You experience life in all of its various facets, and you have always leaned on human wisdom in others, in yourself, in your readings, in your understandings, in your education. You've relied on all of that in order to function in life. And education was your watchword, it was your cure all. It still is for most people. I mean, if you didn't know something, you went to where you could obtain knowledge. You went to the library or you went to the internet. Or you went to a trusted friend or a knowledgeable colleague. To anyone and everyone except to God himself. That's where the world is at. And even if you wanted to learn something about God, you trusted that somehow you could study the Bible on your own or listen to a lecture from a theologian on the History of Discovery Channel or to a sermon by a television preacher. You could talk to friends and try to discover how they did on their spiritual journey. You could take a course on comparative religions from the University of Michigan. Yet all of these sources spell out only one thing, and that is a reliance upon your own intellect and your own wisdom to sort through the facts and arrive at correct conclusions. I'm saying you trusted you. You became the final authority in convincing yourself that you knew God and how He works and what He approves and what He doesn't approve and how to influence Him on your behalf, etc., etc. You became your own final accreditation for life and living. Everyone is like that. And that said, you never discovered the God of the Bible this way. What you did is what all do, apart from God's work in us. Let me read it for you from... Romans chapter 1, verse 25 and following. Paul writes, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Romans 1, verse 25. And if you think this Idolatry is confined to carved sculptures of wood or chiseled stone or precious metals. God says, When an Israelite or any alien lives in Israel, separates himself from me, and sets up idols in his heart, and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face, and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 14, verse 7 and 8. Idols of the heart? Yeah, and they can be anything from a lust for power to the vanity of physical beauty or a love of money or wanting power, prestige, fame, you name it, whatever the world has to offer. May I say that no one ever finds God by their own knowledge and wisdom. Never. Yet this is the only way we know how to live before grace does its work in us. Paul writes this way. For since the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. That's pretty clear. Since that was the case, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It is a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and following. So, God just wiped out all the possibilities that man was going to pursue. Your wisdom isn't wise enough. Your power isn't strong enough. You're never going to find God that way. You're never going to come to peace with him that way. Now the Jews thought, that they could discern God's presence among them by analyzing miracles. Miracles come from God, I mean, right? So to prove that a person was from God, let's take the apostles as an example. The Jews demanded to see miracles. But miracle seekers do not find God By witnessing miracles. Matthew writes of Jesus' ministry. And we read. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities. In which most of his miracles. Had been performed. Because. They did not repent. Pretty clear isn't it? They did not repent. Matthew 11 verse 20. And those cities were Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, where the gospel went forth. John commenting on Jesus' words says, If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles. And yet they have hated both me and my father. John 15 verse 24. I wonder if some of these television preachers understand this. Miracles appeal to the flesh because they mystify and they make people wonder who. But there's no salvation in them because people concentrate on the deed, not the doer. Not the doer. People love miracles for their own sake, not for the God behind them. On the other side, we have the Greek types, the intellectuals, and they say, oh, forget the miracles and the anecdotal testimonies. I want hard scientific facts. If God exists, I should be able to discern his presence and his performance empirically. So let's be rational about this. Faith is irrational, just give me the facts. And I'll figure it out. But God says, and I'm reading scripture, the world through its wisdom did not know him. First Corinthians 1.21 And in the next chapter, did not know him becomes cannot know him. Whoa! Why? First Corinthians two fourteen. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. That's why, for their foolishness, to him, and he cannot understand them because. They are spiritually discerned, and they don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit teaching them. We observe here that there is no ability in the wisdom of man to bridge the gap from ignorance of God to knowledge of God. No matter how many degrees in philosophy or theology a person may have attached to their name. God is not discovered that way. God is discovered by faith. But the intellectual only has faith in himself. Or in reason. I'll figure this out. But there's no faith in God. And if this were not bad enough, Paul quotes God saying, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, God speaking. I will destroy the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where is the scholar? I'm reading scripture. Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19 and 20. And that tells me that not only is there a natural and insurmountable battle for unbelievers to find God through their intellect, but God has actually pledged Himself that no one, no how, is going to find Him that way. And so Paul, a servant of God, told the Corinthian assembly, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of human wisdom. Wow. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians one, seventeen 17 and 18. So people of faith are finding God and being saved while the intellectuals and the miracle seekers are perishing. And as we learned last week, faith and repentance as well are both gifts from God to his people. Thus Paul can say as he does, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become to us wisdom from God. That is, he has become our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 and following. It's a whole change in the parody. It's not me, 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 look what I did. It's Jesus Christ, look what he did. Look what he has accomplished. I'm trusting me, me, me then you will perish, perish, perish. That's exactly what's going to happen. God did not send his son from glory to this earth to die and suffer on a Roman cross so you could say it's me, me, me and what I'm going to do. People don't think about this stuff. You need to think about it. All of us begin our search for God with no faith. Yet try as we may, finding God always eludes us till faith comes. And Paul wrote, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. You know what that tells me? It tells me that it's not a waste of time for unbelievers to expose themselves to the preached word of Christ because in the hearing of the gospel, God sends faith upon his chosen people. And there's no substitute for gospel preaching if people are to be granted saving faith as a deposit in their life. Yes, I know people can be saved just by reading the Bible, certain portions. The Holy Spirit convicts them and they're saved. But that's rare and it's in the minority. Most people are saved by coming into a gospel preaching church and hearing the gospel spelled out for them from the word of God. Secondly, this initial faith that God gives is little and it's weak. It's little and it's weak. Maybe you've heard people say to you, oh, I wish I had your faith. Or, My faith isn't as strong as yours. I would suggest to you that here again, people are thinking that the faith that saves is of their own doing, and that in order for faith to save, a person must possess a certain amount of faith, And that faith must be mm, strong. That's not the gospel. Sorry, it's not. It isn't the quantity of faith that saves. Nor the strength of the faith. It's the object of the faith. And that is Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. That it is Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. This was Paul's message. He says we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Why admit that? But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, when preached like that, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. The object of faith is more important than the amount of faith. More important than the strength of faith. Boy, we messed this all up, I'll tell you all. One day the disciples were having a discussion with Jesus on the subject of forgiveness. And Jesus had just told them that if a brother sinned against them, let's say seven times in one day, and he came back each time and said, I repent. They, the disciples, were under obligation to forgive him. And Luke tells us their reaction. The apostles said to the Lord, oh, 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 increase our faith. Wow. You see how they're thinking? A sinning brother who comes back to you seven times in one day to ask you forgiveness cannot be, may I say it, it cannot be very sincere. That being so, they were struggling with the seeming impossibility of granting forgiveness. Oh, unless perchance uh, God would increase their faith. Well, maybe if he increases our faith, we we would be able to do that. Their position was, well, (laughs) We have, we have some faith. But Lord, what you're asking of us is going to require a whole lot more. Jesus responded in two ways. Number one, he corrected their misconception about faith, saying, let me read it for you. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Luke 17, verse 5 and 6. Now they were thinking, we need a lot of faith to accomplish what the Lord has told us to do, and Jesus was saying, "No, you don't. No, you don't. Even a mustard seed quant ever ever looked at a mustard seed. They're so tiny they could get caught in your teeth." So he was telling them. You don't need more faith. Even a mustard seed quantity. That tiny little bit of faith. Can uproot and relocate trees. By your command. How so? Because of the God. In whom you're placing your faith. They were slipping back into their old reliance upon self. Self. Forgiveness seven times in one day for the same infraction by the same brother. Oh, that seemed impossible because no one in their own strength could be so magnanimous towards willful sin. That's what it has to be. And the fact that he keeps doing the same dumb thing shows it's willful. He's not even trying. And you want me, Lord, Lord, you want me to forgive him. And so they say, well, you're just going to have to increase our faith, Lord. That's what you want done. You have to increase our faith. So the first response Jesus gave was well, you know, just a little mustard seed quantity of faith, you can move trees into the ocean. His second response one which we often ignore. He says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I sit down and eat. And after that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Luke 17, verse 7 and following. Okay, what's the point of this story? The disciples thought of Jesus' command to forgive an erring brother seven times in a day for repeated infractions as being too hard to do. Point blank. This is too hard to do. So they asked for more faith. Jesus answered that even little faith can do great things. But now, he adds that little faith obeys even in the seemingly impossible hard services that God requires. Little faith is strong enough to respond. When you are tired, when you're hungry, when you're sore from a full day's work, the master's interests supersede your own and in the end you can say we are unworthy servants we have only done our duty nothing is too hard even for weak faith it's not too hard to do because faith loves the master and is able to do his will Even weak faith keeps its focus on Christ. That's, remember, the parable of the talents that we studied. So, initial faith can be little. And it can be weak. But secondly, faith can and it must grow and mature. On five separate occasions, Jesus chided his disciples for what he called their little faith. Let me give them to you. You might want to run, at least write, write down the references. Five times, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's talking about the fact that they had little faith. Number one, for worrying about food and clothing, Matthew 6, verse 30. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? had just experienced the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus had done in their presence. Secondly, for being terrified at the raging storm when Jesus was sleeping in the hold of the ship. Really? You don't know me any better than this. You think you're going to go down with the ship? When I'm sleeping in the hold of the ship? That means I'm going down with the ship too. Oh, you have little faith. Number three of Peter. When he began to walk on the water to meet Christ But he took his eyes off Jesus. Matthew 14 verse 31. Peter why did you doubt? Well you know the waves were out there and they were crashing around and it got pretty scary. And you know the Mediterranean has sunk a lot of boats. A lot of ships. It's not a little puddle. It's a big sea, and when it gets angry, it becomes a ferocious sea. Peter, little faith. Number four, for their misunderstanding of Jesus' reference to yeast. Remember that story? They said, it's because we didn't bring any bread with us to eat. That's why Jesus is talking about yeast. Yeast goes in bread, you know. They had just eaten the bread and fish when Jesus fed 5,000, later 4,000 with a little handful of grub. Actually, he was talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel at that time and how their false teaching infiltrated truth and polluted it, ruined the truth. (coughs) Distracting people from the truth. And finally, number five, when the disciples were unable to expel the evil spirit from the demoniac, and they wondered, why why can't we do this? Matthew 17, verse 20. Must be little faith. Jesus labeled these disciples as men. Of little faith in all of these circumstances. And it did not mean that they had no faith. By this time. In their lives. What is more. As we have just studied. The little faith they had. Would not have failed them. Had they not taken their eye off Christ. Vividly portrayed in Peter's beginning to sink in the sea. Right? He's doing good. He's walking on water. He's coming from one place to the ship. But the waves were big and the storm was ferocious. And Peter began to do this. and he took his eyes off Christ and began to sink and he cried out lord help little faith is only ineffective ineffective when it is redirected to self Where am I going to eat my next meal? How will I stay warm this winter? This storm is going to sink our boat. We have to do something. Jesus is asleep in the hold, He doesn't care that we're perishing. And Jesus is chiding us for not packing a lunch today for our journey. They had forgotten about the feeding of the 5,000 and later about the feeding of the 4,000. And but having said this, we should also observe that these men grew and they matured in every area of their early failures. In faith. Consider faith for food and clothing, the earthly necessities. The scripture says, All the believers were one heart and mind, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had, and with great power, the apostles. The disciples continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And many graves were opened before them all. And there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone that had need. Acts 4, verse 32 and 4, so that no one had need. Secondly, when faith, terrified by dangerous situations like the storm, Peter's imprisonment would be another one. Why is he locked away in a dungeon with Herod ready to kill him? Yeah, Herod had just beheaded James a few days before. You're next, Peter. The word got out. We read the night before Herod was to bring this, bring him to trial. Peter was I can hardly believe this. Peter was sleeping. Between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood a guard of his entrance. Acts 12, verse 6. Oh, tomorrow they're going to chop my head off like they did James. Oh, I better go to sleep. It's going to be a busy day. He had peace of heart. He knew Christ. Thirdly, faith to do the miracles, the impossible. Peter walking on the water. On the preaching tour of Matthew chapter 10, Luke 17, Jesus instructed all his disciples heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 10, verse 6, verse 8, excuse me. And when they reported back, they said, Oh Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Luke 10, verse 17. What are they learning? They are learning that faith, that trust in Christ, enabled them to do the impossible. And even their discernment level of the yeast of the Pharisees and leaders, even that increased. Faith allowed them To see through the strategies of evil men. And they became bold for Christ. When Peter and John. And later all the disciples were arrested. And brought before the Sanhedrin. Because they refused to stop preaching the gospel. The chief priest said. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. The name of Jesus. Acts 5 verse 28. The response. Peter and the other apostles replied. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. Whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and give forgiveness of sins to Israel. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this they were furious. And they wanted to put the apostles to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel interceded, and in the end, the apostles were flogged. That was no picnic either. And they were released with another warning. Not to speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 40. That's Acts 5. Verse 40. Oh boy, that, that just shuns shivers down my spine. I'm really scared now. They've told me that I dare not speak in the name of Jesus at all. And they've already flogged me. What's next? I don't know what to do. Here's what they did. Verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 5, verse 42. That's what they did. Now, what is all this? Brethren, it is mature, grown up faith. That's what it is. It is victorious faith. It is a faith that has finally captured the right vision. It is faith that has found its focus on Christ. As Paul writes, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2. And the seated Christ at the right hand of the throne of God is the conquering Christ, the kingly Christ, who reigns and rules over nations and dominions. And that is where our faith must focus. And when we trust in him, faith grows up. It is perfected by the one who gave it, the author who wrote it on our hearts and when that happens faith is able to do the extraordinary there in Hebrews chapter 10 look at verse 32 and following Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in great contests in the face of suffering sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution at other times you stood by side by side with those who were in so so treated you sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence, your faith. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive What he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who believe and are saved. Standing for Christ amid severe trial. How's that to be done? Well, in personal and public suffering, in insult and persecution. You know, it has always been the case that the world will not leave us Christians live in peace. They won't. They preach toleration for all while practicing intolerance. So, what they mean is that we believers are to tolerate their sinful lies, their adultery, their drunkenness, their greed, their deceit, while they increase and harass and insult and blaspheme our God and our lifestyle of striving for goodness and godliness and obedience to God's moral law. It is a one-way street, and for all that do not comply... There is ridicule and persecution. Peter put it this way. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them. In the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But. They will give an account. To him who is ready. To judge the living and the dead. First Peter four. Verse three and following. There are consequences. To men and women. Who live their lives by faith. In the son of God. The world is a hostile place for faithful Christians. However, Jesus taught that we are a blessed lot. When this happens, let me read it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are that those people when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you matthew 5 verse 10 and following. we are to realize that as our faith is in christ our trials are because of christ Paul says, they say all kinds of evil against you. Jesus says, they say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. And when this happens, it means that you are doing something right. He says, because of righteousness. So Jesus says, we are living in the company of the prophets. those who declared boldly the truth of God and suffered for it. There is no more a noble cause. Jeremiah was deprived of food and water and he was thrown into a dry cistern and left there for a while. The king of Israel was trying to To form an alliance with King Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat. Inquired. If there were. A prophet of God. Available. Why? Because Israel at that time. Were already into idolatry. False gods. Here's what the king said. The king of Israel. Answered Jehoshaphat. Uh. There, there's still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla, First King, twenty-two, verse eight. Well, that says a lot. Well, Micaiah was summoned, and sure enough. He prophesied that the king, along with Israel, would be sorely defeated on the battlefield if they took the counsel of the lying prophets. And for that, one of the king's servants slapped Micaiah in the face. And the king ordered, put this fellow, Micaiah, in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. 1 Kings 22 Verse 27, and as they scurried Micaiah off to prison, he was heard to say to the king, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he said, mark my words, all you people. First Kings 22, verse 28. The world calls us insolence. Oh, what an insolent character. God calls it faithfulness. All who stand with the prophets may receive the sense excuse me, the same insults and persecution. But Jesus also taught anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Matthew 10, verse 41. We should take that to heart. It ain't over till it's over. The second way these people stood for Christ amidst severe trial was by identifying with those mistreated. I love this. Hebrews 10, verse 13 and following. You stood side by side with the ones persecuted. Verse 34. You sympathize with those in prison you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. What is this? The world resists and they would mock and say, oh, they had a martyrs complex. The world knows nothing about true faith. God says that such standing with others, even at personal loss, was because these Christians, let me read it for you, knew that you yourself had better and lasting possessions. So I'm going to lose my house down here. They're going to confiscate my cattle, my sheep. Okay. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Sometimes, brethren, our faith is not demonstrated by trust when we are the victims of persecution. but when we endanger ourselves by standing with our brethren. In Matthew, Jesus said, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Uh, when? Uh, Lord, when did we ever visit you while you were in prison? Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Focus again on Christ. Finally, the perseverance must be without quitting. Verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your faith. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. God's reward is for those... Who have done the will of God. Christ is coming. Verse 37. When he comes. He will be looking for the righteous. Who live by faith. And do not shrink back. Verse 38. And that affirmation. Is given in verse 39. They say. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Brethren, that's confident faith. The writer knows his people, and he knows himself. He is loving his faith. The focus is on Christ. The stewardship is being administered for the Lord. And Jesus taught and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Luke 18, verse 7 and 8. So I ask in closing are you among the confident of faith? When Christ comes, will you be discovered as a person of faith? May God grant it so. Come then, come today. Why waste one more day or one more moment fighting against the goodness of God? Leave the world system. Come into God's kingdom. Little faith, weak faith, it doesn't matter. Look to Christ. That's where your faith needs to be. And it will be sufficient no matter its strength. Our Lord, I just pray that you'll bless our hearts today with the truth of your word. Jesus told these accounts to his disciples. They were disciples. They lived with Jesus and followed his ministry for years. Well he says of them five times, Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. And then he tells them how to correct all that. Don't take your eyes off of me. Don't take your eyes off of the prize. You will be richly rewarded if you persevere. Lord, for anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus... They're going to face him someday. He is the king of the universe. He's the son of God the Father. And the Father has committed all things into his son's hands. It's as though the king of the kings, the king of the universe, the Father has relinquished all of the authority to his son. I mean, his son paid the price. They crucified his son. They killed his disciples throughout history. Justice needs to be done for the sake of the son. And it will be done. Lord I don't want justice though I want mercy I want mercy and we have mercy and we have grace for those who have put their faith in Jesus but sadly there's no mercy for anyone else The Bible speaks more about hell than it does about heaven. And I think it does that because it wants to warn, 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 warn sinners to repent, to get right with God. Lord, grant us that faith and that grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity number 468 in the red hymnal, 468.
2: find it will you stand with me number 468 in the red
3: It is enough, O oh Lord. What else could be done? You sent your own beloved son to pay the price for your people's sins. That's real love. Sacrificial love. And that offering of your son And his bloody work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that was all received by you as payment in full for all who will put their faith in Christ. If he's going to be the substitute for us, then we have to claim him as our substitute. We have to admit that we need a substitute. And that God will accept the work of his son. I pray that we will do that. Bless the truths to our heart. What a savior we have. Came down here. Lived in this sinful world for 30 some years. Allowed himself to be beaten. Beaten. Humiliated, mocked, spit upon, defamed in every wicked way so that he could pay for the sins of his people. Bless these truths to our heart and above all, give us thankful hearts. Thankful hearts. You didn't have to do this, Lord. You volunteer yourself. Praise you for it. Be with us and help us to be thankful and to live it out in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Remind you that tonight we have our Bible study in the basement. That's at six o'clock. we'd like to send we'd like to send him off How old are ya? <laughs> 32.
2: He's older, he can ask you. <laughs> A hard 68. <laughs>